You're listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. I'm Fran Barber. And I'm Howard Wallace. Hello, everyone. This week, Howard and I are going to be talking about the reading set for Lent, the first week of Lent, and namely we'll focus on Genesis 2, 15 to 17 and 3, 1 to 7. We'll have a foray into Psalm 32, and then we'll focus particularly on Matthew 4, 1 to 11. We may make brief reference to Romans, but we're focusing mainly on Genesis and Matthew. So... Howard, we begin with the cosmic battle um, of good and evil and sin and redemption mm. in Lent. This is the, the second big creation story in Genesis, as people probably know, um, often associated with what uh, history has labelled it as the fall of, mm. of humankind. Um, I think that really needs to be challenged in the end, and we'll get yeah, around yeah. to that. Uh, but the thing we notice is that it's really only part of a story we're reading. The whole story begins near the beginning of Chapter 2 and runs right through to the end of Chapter 3. So we've just got a matter of about nine verses in the middle, which is the, the crux to some extent. Yes, very very brief but a lot mm. going on. Mm. Yeah, the, the story um, is not so much concerned, I think, about the 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 introduction, if you like, of sin into the world, the, the when did sin sort of yes. arise question, but about why and how yes. humans get involved and caught up with this. Yes, and I think it's a, um, a, such an important distinction mm. of what's – it's a mm. bit like you know the creation story not being about um, the mechanics of how it all happened but about the relationship mm. between God yes, yeah, and creation yeah, and humanity. Yeah. And this is about um, – you know the how and what's going. What is sin really? Yes, and yeah. what is the nature of a relationship between people and God, people and God mm. um, in sin? And if and if we use the language of fall, it does tend to have um, a moralistic sort of a flavour to oh, it, yes, yes. or yeah. um, and <clears throat> takes away um, from the emphasis really here, which is that it's about hubris or about you know an idea of pride and arrogance that. Mm, yes. um, that the identity we're given by God is not sufficient, yeah. so we'll try to add to it. Well, there are, there are lots of things that have been added to the story in terms of the way it's been interpreted over centuries. Yeah. I mean, the whole association, I think, of the serpent with Satan mm. is one that, that sort of steers us in, a, I think, an unhelpful direction. The association of the woman with sex particularly um, has been a nasty one over, and with sin as the mm. as the source of sin within uh, humankind, I think has been a nasty one over the, the centuries. Um, the association of the garden with a human place of habitation, I think that's really quite a bad spot, and and <laughs> has been bad. Cl- for our treatment of creation. Well, it has, yes. We've got all those implications, but I don't think it helps us understand what's going on no. within the story yeah. either. And then the idea of the fruit as so-called apple, which yes, is not really not, an apple, of course, <laughs> but the idea of the fruit as being some innocuous sort of entity that's just there as a, the point of temptation. Um, we miss the whole point of what the story is pointing us towards in terms of this being the fruit of the tree of good and evil. I think we really need to mm. focus on what good and evil stands for. Um, 
to understand what's happening. Yeah, and to begin, <clears throat> I think I'd want to really highlight um, the freedom that humans are given by God in the first instance in the passage that we have set before mm. us. You may eat freely of every tree of the garden, but only but. of this one. <laughs> yes. Yes. And there's confusion within the story too because actually there are two trees planted in the middle of the yes. garden, the tree of life, which comes at the beginning and then at the end of the story. Um, and this, then we seem to focus on the tree of good and evil as the only tree almost that's of relevance in the middle of it all. And have you got a sort of an explanation from that from an exegetical point of view or is it part well, of the sort of complexity of the story? Well, I think it's got a very complex history, I think, this this narrative mm. um, that has probably more than one layer well within it and I don't know that we need to get into to all of that now. Um, I think one of the, the problems, if I can move on to the, the location and the setting of the story, we often think of this as a paradise, a human paradise, um, but I think really to understand it, we must note that Eden itself is probably what I would call a divine garden, a divine dwelling place. This is the place where God lives. Mm. And at the beginning, the humans are brought into it in some sort of free element. And there are certain restrictions about what can be done within that context. I mean, the things that portray it as a divine dwelling place are the fact that we do have these sort of special um, trees that are, that are within the garden. There is fertility in this place. There, it's a source of water that's, that you know, fertilises the whole earth. It's the place where God dwells and makes decrees that, that um, affect the whole earth. And there are other divine creatures there, the cherubim and the, um, the flaming sword, to mention it too. So it's not a human paradise as such. It's a divine dwelling place into which the humans are placed. Or could I say invited? I mean, yeah. there's an element of intimacy. There is. There is they the bring, there's intimacy here, um, but they are on God's ground mm. in that sort of context. And so you know, there are things they need to be careful of and not eating of certain trees, which are going to give them certain divine qualities uh, is what's prohibited within this context. Otherwise, there's freedom mm. in this place. And it is interesting to see the movement of, for want of a better word, the temptation here that the serpent introduces by, uh, well, serpent who's been called the first theologian by some, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Did God really say that? Or maybe there's another way we could think about this. There's this sort of, which is what we do, the rationalising, reframing for our own purposes. And there there are a number of sort of, um, awkward points within this story that, that stay there right at the end, even when you wrestle with what it might and what, be what about. Would you... And one of those is who's right, God yeah. or, the, or, the, or the serpent? Um, and what is death? Because, well, she didn't, they didn't die. No, I mean, they didn't know. die. So no. do you have to redefine death in a way or how do you wrestle with that anomaly? Yeah, well. And I think it's left there for us to wrestle with actually. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... So what would so your focus would be in preaching this text then how um, I'm hearing would be a focus on what sin is and isn't and what this story yes, isn't about and who we are yes yeah. in that context and I mean here you come back to the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or of knowing good and evil um, this that the good and evil is what technically is known as a merism in other words there are two words that sort of express um, the whole of something. It's like saying all of Australia from Sydney to Perth. Mm-hmm. You, you, 
mention the extremes and you mean the whole. So this tree gives them divine knowledge um, and that's what they seek after. Um, they step outside of what's limited. In other words, they're... Yeah, they step outside the creatureliness that they yes, and the yes. identity that they've yeah. been given. Um, which is the way in which they've been invited in or brought into the garden yes. as creatures. And so then naked, no, um, consciousness of nakedness is the first thing and then mm. they sort of put together flimsy fig leaves. Um, yes, to, to a bit hide. of humour here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I think later on they're given more substantial coverings, yes. aren't they? Yes, God, God makes them. Leather ones. Yes. Which is, that's an interesting thing itself. Yeah, I know. What, what happened to that? the animals? <laughs> yeah, well, what happened to the animals? But, yeah, anyway. anyway. <laughs> that is part of it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm also I'm really taken by the couple of verses outside the set lectionary after this where, um, you know, they go hiding. Adam goes hiding mm-hmm. and there's the shame. Mm-hmm. And, and the first thing that happens is God asks, seeks where are you, out. and yes. seeks, seeks Adam out, which, um, you know, is God seeking us out is repeated in all different ways through the entire Bible. Um, we always try to reframe it as us looking for God and we're, we're the ones going out looking, but actually mm. and, God and does the invitation and the approach most yes, of the time. And, and provides some sort of covering, if you like, or some sort of way of dwelling within the what is now the, the new human context yes. and awareness of who they are and the problems of dealing with that. And some but, protection. Yes, and you get that too with Cain after he kills um, Abel in the next story. Yeah, right. <coughs> okay, shall we move across now then to l- draw some parallels or with the psalm? Mm-hmm. Psalm 32, which is fairly explanatory, dare I say it, the non-Hebrew scholar, uh, but you, we can see why it's been set for this Sunday Um about forgiveness and uh, the magnitude of the experience of receiving God's God's forgiveness, the magnitude of actually the period before one is forgiven of the groaning and of the heaviness and of the wasting away and the experience mm. of um, guilt and shame, I suppose. And of the owning and expression mm. of, of that as a way of, of healing. Yeah. Um, but also that this is not – I mean, we, we tend to read these – Poems and songs in a much more individualistic fashion than they were first designed, first written. Um, but there's something about one's own experience of forgiveness that um, has an impact on the whole community, mm-hmm. and so it becomes a shared witness or a shared testimony yes, yes. and a shared experience yes. of the blessing of God. Yes. Uh, One of the, the peculiarities life. about the psalm is is that when you get to verse eight of it, you have a figure coming in saying, I will instruct you, presumably speaking to the, the psalmist, mm. and teach you the way you should go. Now, is that God's voice now that's entering and how is God's voice entering? Through the community, through a priest or mm. some other way um, or through imagination? Uh, so you get sort of a, a community involvement within that context. Yeah, and in terms of our context of Lent, so we... You know, we we come into this season um, invited to go to the cross, to go mm-hmm. to Jerusalem mm-hmm. with Jesus. We um, face up to our frailty, our humanness, our given creaturely identity. But always before us is the truth that um, 
we are embraced and captured and by Jesus Christ and by God mm-hmm. in Christ and this redemption um, is the is the ground of our being mm-hmm. and hearing this psalm particularly first up starts us right in that sense. Yes, I think it does and I like the, the end of it. So although it starts slightly negatively, many are the torments of the mm. wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Yeah. Which when we reflect on the Genesis yeah. reading, um, yeah. I just think of the, mm. the trust of, <laughs> yes. of Adam and yeah. Eve. Um, and it wasn't there. like that. that, that no, I mean they tried to, to seek to have the qualities of God or, or some of the yeah, because, powers of God. Yeah, yeah, because... Um, ha- and we do that all day, I yes. mean, with all our technology and our... Various ways of sort of trying to sort of master our our universe. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. No. I agree. And the creation. And, and also, <coughs> I think too, with our we have there's a risk aversion for you know obvious reason in a lot of contexts, mm-hmm. but it, it has gone to the extent that we think we can calculate and control what yes. will happen yeah. in any given situation. Mm-hmm. There's also an invitation to celebrate who we are as creatures of mm-hmm. of God and to to live within that. Yeah, which is a really quite um, lovely way to preach into these passages mm, for yes, Lent yeah. too. Okay, we'll move on to the Gospel, which is Matthew 4, 1 to 11. <coughs> so Jesus has come uh, into the wilderness here. We, I want to emphasise that um, Jesus has just been baptised and it's that event that we must read as we come into this one because it's the same spirit who named mm. Jesus as beloved and God's son. It's the same spirit that we read in in uh, verse 1 here that drove or led Jesus into the wilderness. Um, this uh, story, I think, really focuses on, in contrast to the first story of Genesis we just talked about, but... Jesus accepting his identity, living into it as God's son, the identity that was given in the baptism just before. Um, and we see these rep- couple of re- repeated phrases here, if you are the son of God, this sort of mm. tempt, well, it's a tempting of Jesus, but, you know, do you want to extend that? Do you want to prove it? Do you want to really stretch that to the extent that we think it should be stretched? Um, and Jesus resisting that all the time. I think we need to be careful how we see Jesus as a, a model for us in yeah. this. I mean, this is really a story. It's primarily one of Christology. Who is Jesus? Yes. And he's wrestling with that context. Now, I think in the end it will be an invitation for us to, to wrestle with the question of who are we, but not simply to use Jesus as a as a model for facing up to temptation in its No, and I forms. think I think if we take seriously... <laughs> Um, this following the baptism, where we can do that, we can avoid mm. that because mm. if 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 for example Jesus' baptism followed this story, it would be he's a heroic genius religious yes. figure who managed to triumph over the devil That's or reward. the yeah. slanderer, mm. as Bentley Hart calls him in his translation. Uh, but as it is, no, it's uh, the baptism came first, and actually, I think there's something really profound theologically and for our own discipleship mm. here that our own baptism doesn't does not um, give us yeah. entree mm. into mm. a pure community 
mm. uh, but actually takes us into the wilderness. What is the chaos in the wilderness that we now see and find ourselves amongst because well, we've accepted ourselves as God's child? Mm. Nor does our baptism sort of depend upon our obedience or our ability to... No, indeed, yes. And same with Jesus. I mean, in mm. that sort of sense, if we can draw a parallel, mm. same with this, yes. you know, this situation here. There, so, there are some parallels with... Genesis, as we've already mentioned, I mean, in a way, Jesus does sort of conquer Satan here. Mm. Um, but also, the wilderness evokes Israel's own experience. And so. And the 40 yeah, days and 40 yes, nights. Yes. He, he is a way in which the problems that face humanity in general in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, and the problems that faced Israel as it wandered through the wilderness are really met in, in Jesus in the end. And um, and faced in a new way. Mm, mm. Now, the other interesting thing about this passage too is uh, its use of Scripture itself. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> or in the dialogue, you know, we have passages, snippets from Deuteronomy and from Psalm, mm. and from Psalm 91. I think there's an interesting... Um, Sermon here, or digression in a sermon about um, scripture's interpretation of scripture, and yep. and and the actual mm. use of scripture here is is, is it, we looking at the first proof text? <laughs> no, well, <laughs> I don't know whether you want to. No, I want to take up. <laughs> but but also the use of scripture itself, something sacred mm. that becomes the point of temptation. I mean, it's not as if Satan is laying out before Jesus some. Um, blatantly sort of tempting sort of element, lots of money or something No, in front it's, of him it's true, isn't it? There's not yeah. a lot of hyperbole or no, no, obviousness no, no, about no, this. No. Yeah. So, um, which is part of its cunningness, obviously. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I mean, uh, the other point I was just going to make exegetically is um, Jesus is wrestling with who he is. I mean, this is not something that's foreign in the ancient world at the beginning of the story. And we get this both Luke, although the the order of the temptations is slightly different, um, as well as in, in Matthew. I mean, there are other ancient heroes who also faced those questions of who they are um, as they began their heroic works. And mm. So this is, I mean, <laughs> modelled on, on those stories yes, quite clearly, I mean, it's but quite reframed. Part of expected custom. Mm. Just we maybe get specific about these temptations mm. here. We just talked about how they're not particularly... Are provocative in the, in and of themselves. Mm. So, you know, turn these st- um, stones into loaves of bread and we know Jesus will later in the gospel, not much mm. later, yes. <laughs> feed lots and lots of people yes, with hardly yes. any bread. I mean, this is food. There's nothing wrong with food. No, in um, fact, I mean, that, that temptation could be to do a good thing in the end. I mean, he could feed the hungry yeah, with, yeah. with all this bread he could make. Yeah. And the second one is... It's, I suppose that's the most glaring sort of superhero mm. type yes. one. Yeah. Um, throw yourself <clears throat> down if you're the son of God, which of course also does uh, prefigure, doesn't it? Um, Jesus on the cross and being told, well. Yes, and it prefigures to some extent the reading we're going to have from John next mm. week about whether people follow the signs, that is the miracles Jesus yes. does, or whether yeah. their faith in him is something deeper. And then the third one is all power and dominion, mm. which is quite seductive. Yes, but again, he could use it 
for good. Yes, maybe. yes, it's not saying you need yeah. to do it for no. this way or that way. So it's very subtle there, mm. what's going on here. And I'm wondering whether the interplay with the sort of the Jesus doesn't always respond to the, to the devil, but does twice with, um, you know, a different sort of yeah. scripture. <laughs> and I'm just wondering what how it, it plays as the word of God, and then Jesus being word of God, God, God's self here. I'm not sure where I haven't sort of finished the thought there, but he stands on that word and. Um, Becomes it, yes, I suppose, yes. by 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 insisting, in a sense, on his sonship, mm. and and it seems to be an invitation to to wrestle with, you know, what is the word of God in this mm. sense? I mean, you can have words quoted to you, which might sound good and sacred and authoritative, mm. but you know, is that the way to go in the end? Is that who we are and who Jesus is? Yes, because yes, <clears throat> if you just sort of took out those quotes mm. yes. without the yes. speakers and yep. the, and yep. what's going on, um, there's not a lot. No. There's actually no. not a lot going on there, yeah. and it's about the interaction and the tussle, mm. uh, and as you said, perhaps a bit like the Genesis story too, that the questions remain. Yes, I mean, apart <clears throat> from the fact of Jesus' victory in the sense of retaining, standing by his identity. Mm. There are still those open questions like, oh, well, yes. that, that's and, not and that bad. You know. And I suppose in a way, I mean, this since this is standing fairly close to the beginning of the gospel, you know, we're going to see the working out of Jesus' own sort of sense of what it means to be the Son of God for him, at any rate, in the rest of the, the gospel story. Well, indeed, and that victory <laughs> is on the cross, which mm, is, at the end, yes. you know, completely mm. um, opposite and topsy-turvy to, you know, what, was, yes. what would be expected. Mm. In the Messiah, how would we um, preach this then to a twenty-first century community? I mean, we preach it by clarifying all these points we've been talking about, mm. um, but also perhaps by thinking about the sort of temptations that challenge our own identity mm-hmm. as children of God. Yep. What you know, in, to what extent do we actually? Try to add to that identity. To what extent do we resist that this is enough? <laughs> you know, that's a rhetorical question, yeah. but one <laughs> that a sermon yeah. could. Yeah. I mean, I think I'd be sort of starting with those general questions and wanting to open people's minds up to the sort of temptations that are not so obvious, mm. um, which I think is hidden in both of these. Well, stories. yes, and because the devil's really um, isn't he saying. I want you to frame your whole life and around death. Mm. Death is what you can fear the most. So as soon as he does that, mm. you become fearful, you become that there's not enough time, yeah. there's not enough mm. anything. Yeah. And that could still be a, a well, that's temptation. Totally, that's, well, I'm saying that, that is, yes, that is yeah. our... Yes. It's, we're no different. That, but that. also the way we're, we're bound up, I think, within the way the world works. I mean, even if we may not be sinful people as such, we're caught up in systems that sort of mm. really drag us in, unbeknowings often. Yeah, no, to, and I think that's um, – thank you for bringing that mm. in now. That's um, – clearly it needs to be an emphasis mm. in the way we talk about mm. sin is the yeah. corporate systemic way we're, we're, in, we're part of it. 
And I suppose what the gospel does in, in reading us, so to speak, and the gospel broadly speaking, is to remind us whose we are and who we and to whom we belong and how we might resist those temptations within the system. Yes. Resist the narratives that says be fearful of this. Um, resist the narrative that says there's not enough time, there's not enough money, there's not enough resources, there's not enough love, there's not enough, you know. But in the end you don't give up yeah. <laughs> because it's not enough. Um, you're invited into this whole process of questioning of who am I in this sort of context? How am I going to express mm. my faith? How am I going to work it out? Well, and in you know, you've, you've got two examples here that you could work through. Yeah. Uh, knowing also in the end that, we are accepted into God's presence um, as creatures, Genesis, and also knowing that, that Jesus, in a way, has faced these issues and done something about it. And that, and that God's <coughs> trusting fidelity <coughs> will, yes. yeah. you know, win out. Yep. Well, I think that's good for Lent 1. <laughs> By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.